Your defense is in trouble in Katya in the room. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to BNBFC. It's your boy Brett. I'm back at it again with Brian. And uh, in this episode, we're going to be looking at the past weekend fixtures, talking about Arsenal absolutely slam dunking Sheffield United, Manchester City absolutely running amok in Manchester, uh, Chelsea absolutely in the mud. And then we're going to be looking ahead to the weekend fixtures, primarily United Fulham, Newcastle Arsenal, and we're also going to mention the Tottenham versus Chelsea game that's on Monday. And lastly, we're going to go over the Ballon d'Or results because Messi has capped off the best ever career ever, period, ever. All right, Brian, let's start with the Arsenal one because it's going to be quick. What did you think of that game? It's a tale of a, a team that's gonna that's competing for a title and a team that is almost locked down relegation. Arsenal is at home, were they not? Yeah. No. 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 Or no. Is, yes. No. Yeah. Yes. No. I've, yes. I've gotten it mixed up over the, but I, I don't think there's a whole lot to say in terms of the punditry related to this match. Arsenal were a better team. Really surprised performance from Inketia. They were at home. Maybe our, maybe he's showing us what Arteta sees on the training pitch. I don't know, because there's obviously been question marks raised about Arteta's, you know, support and unwavering loyalty in some ways to Eddie and Katia. He's getting a lot of minutes when there's they might when a lot of people would think that there might be better options to play in, in the that number nine position or, or how they assemble their attack. But really three different goals and all all a real different skills that a poacher needs a great first touch goal outside the box, hit it, hammer it from outside the box into the top corner. And then a really simple, straightforward one where you have to be in the right position. So that's good. I don't really add like you, you don't really think that Arsenal built much momentum off this game. Like, no, it's Sheffield United. I don't I, think there's a whole ton in it in terms of that. I'll say this. Like, I, I really like that Arteta gave some other players like Smith Rowe started. I mean, I'm really biased towards Smith Rowe, but I found in this game, it solidified. I give Inketi a little bit more credit um, in the way that I think he's a solid number two. Like if you're going to go against teams that are relegation teams this early in the season, like he's a fine person to go out and start. Um, as well as against Sheffield, it's great that Arteta's starting some of these, like giving players a chance to start in games. Like you should not have the players that you're going to start in the Champions League starting against Sheffield United the way that they're playing. Like give some people some opportunities, and I like that. Last year and over the uh, you know continuing games. I've been pretty harsh to Inkatia, but that's mostly because I think when Jesus is injured, I don't think we can rely on Inkatia being the guy and things like that. I think if you start Inkatia and you have the idea of having Jesus come back on in some point, I think that's a great opportunity. I just don't think Inkatia is good enough to be the striking option. Um, I still don't think he's good enough to be like to not go out into the market and look for one if you're having a title charge, just in case anything happens to Jesus. Um, but I will say, not that it builds any momentum because it doesn't, but when you're looking at what Newcastle did to Sheffield, what Arsenal have now done to Sheffield, um, when you're a team that's supposed to be competing for these top five places and um, for, in Arsenal's case, be a title contender, 
when you're going against a, a team like Sheffield United, you have to kill them. Like I think at me and you both talked about it that it would be disappointing if Arsenal didn't score at least three. I think I said four. Yeah, I think you said four, but um, it's one of those things that like you have United that struggled against Sheffield and barely scraped a win, and you can see where they're at. So I'm just glad that we killed them, so to speak. So I was pretty happy. Not much more left to say. We keep talking about it. No, no, we can't. No, and I watched this game. It was a wonderful thing, United versus City. Brian, I'm going to talk for a little bit, okay? And then you can, you know, I'll just, I like to watch your face when this happens. But one of the announcers, you know, had said something like, you know, there is a big difference between Hoyland and Holland. And I think that you definitely saw that uh, clear as day that you can't just go get yourself a Scandinavian striker and do the same thing. It's very, very often, or sorry, not often, you pointed this out when Van Dyke went to Liverpool and you saw some people trying to pick up their own Van Dyke. Well, we got Harry Maguire. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, you just have to say this, is I saw the lineup and I was like, I have to watch this game because they're going to get killed. You had a back four of Lindelof, Evans, Maguire, and Dallow. Okay? And... Here's the thing about that. Maguire and Evans are Leicester City's defense four years ago. How is that even freaking possible? And they, like, you played like absolute shit. There was no, like, as soon as you went 1-0 down in the 25th minute, every one of your players but McTominay and Onana quit. And here's another sad thing. How do you lose 3-0 and Onana's your best player? A keeper lets in three, and he's still the best player on the field. Ten Hag, I'm, I'll let you talk now, but Ten Hag needs to go as far as I'm concerned. I'll get back to that after your analysis of the game because it was trash. Holland, free header. I could have scored that. Nobody, like, it's ridiculous. Anyways, you get going. Well, very disappointing, obviously, but not unexpected. You know, I was talking with Brett on the phone last night and I talked about you know what does it mean to be a derby and there's a few different criteria that, that comes to mind like some derbies will are based on geography obviously some are based on a rivalry that's established but in the two teams they're in a very competitive state for quite a long time like Manchester United and Liverpool right now and then there's some derbies that are based on quality sure the geography's there they have had some bigger moments matches in the Manchester Derby in 10 years, about 10 years ago, but it's not a Derby in terms of quality. Now it's, it's Merseyside Derby 2.0 right now, you know, for the last, whatever Liverpool's always been pretty much the better team. There was a period about 10 years ago where, where Everton and Liverpool were similarly, I think in terms of quality, but right now it's just not close. And it is, whether you say a noisy neighbor, like and, and off the pitch, I recognize that City has a hell of a long way to go to get anywhere near Manchester United from a commercial perspective. But if that's your benchmark for success, if you're just going to point out that we sold this many, because they are, I think, one of the most, like along with like a Barca and Real Madrid, United are consistently, I think, in that top three as far as commercial success of any club. If, if that's their benchmark for success, then 
well, that's not great for us as supporters, but if it makes the, the Glazers money, and I think it has been, I think this period of United being poor in the last 10 years, the Glazers have actually done better in terms of the bottom line for them at the end of the year, bringing in these guys that are great business people. Ed Woodward, great business person, not a great footballer. Same with the current chief executive right there. I think I think he's got a good understanding of how to make the club money, and that is an aspect, certainly, of, of football operations, but it is disappointing as a fan, and, it, and it's kind of in limbo because it's not – United don't have them. Like, they're not going to get relegated in a million years even with how they're playing, but they look a long way from a top four you, team right now. Surely you got to get rid of Ten Hag. Surely it's it's coming to that point. Can I, can I like you can think about that because I just want to. I just these are my points. So Ten Hag's been there how many years? This is his second, yeah. second year. Okay. So in the time that like you, in my opinion, you should give more time to managers than two years if it's a project. But in the time that Ten Hag has come out, he has proven to me that he's not capable of doing the job. Okay. Let's compare. I just want to compare because we often do this with Manchester United and Arsenal because they are both in projects. Arteta was getting terrible results and continued to try to build an identity and continued to lose games while trying to stick to his brand of football, trying to just be like, you know what? I am building something here. Let me have some time. I know it's not going great right now, but when things start clicking, it will get better. And it has. Ten Hag has abandoned his whole identity of football. They're playing completely different football this year, and it's not good football. It's ten behind, like it's looking like park the bus, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer type of football lately. And not only that, it's like you see people that he freezes out for no reason. And you look at all the players that he pushed through the door to spend big money on, they're not even playing. It like I do not understand. And also Ten Hag came out and he said he's had too many injuries or like he doesn't have um like there's a tactic here and he doesn't have much, he can't do anything with the tactics because he's got these injuries. And it's like, a guy just looks like he's just drowning in a job that's too big for him. It reminds me of Potter where he's just trying to figure something out and nothing is working. There's no, like the difference between him and Arteta and I, cause I resent people that came out and automatically said that Ten Hag was a better manager than Arteta. The thing with Arteta that I like and I hate, I hate how stubborn he is, but I also appreciate that he had an idea and a vision and he stubbornly went for it. And now that it's clicking, they're playing better football, but it seems like 10 Hag, whenever things, whenever life is hard, 10 Hag just kind of just scraps his whole shit out the window. It doesn't matter that Anthony has legal issue. He finds a way to start him, but he gets rid of um, Sancho. He's uh, I, I think Varane's fit. He's not playing Varane. He, for some reason, wants to play Johnny Evans. And it like I think he likes playing Johnny Evans. I do not understand that. That's not progress to me. Putting Lindelof on the left, I think Shaw's fit too. I don't not understand. Malassia, do not put Lindelof as a left back. That makes unless you want to do the um you or sorry, the city thing where you have three center backs at the back and and all that, but it just seems like this guy um doesn't know what to do. He froze out Maguire and now he's his starting center back. 
I do not understand his vision. I think that he spent some money and you've seen no progress. So I think it would be a healthy time, maybe at the end of the season, maybe in January, you're thinking, but in the same token, who do you go get? That's my point. And really, I've often wondered from a social experiment, if we could go back in time and if we bring... I don't know who's just a manager that has always had sustained success at the clubs. He's been at a, a Pep Guardiola or a, or a Carlo Ancelotti. Can they do anything with, with this Manchester United team? Like I, I recognize, because we've had all kinds of managers in the last 10 years, different profiles, whether it's the kind of the chosen one in terms of Moyes and like a Graham Potter sort of internal done well at a, at a middle-sized club. Louis Van Gaal, a lot of success. Mourinho, obviously, tons of success. Scholzkar, no success, but a, a, a fairly well-liked person within the club. Rangnick, a really ideological, philosophical type of person, but I think not a very good coach. And now on to Ted Hag, who's kind of a mixture of some of the other things. But I think that, obviously, I think to have that many managers and then no one really meeting the expectations of the club, there there has to be flaws within the framework of the club that prevents people from being successful. Oh, absolutely. This is the one thing I would say that Ten Hag is not doing that he needs to, is he needs to bring the fans back into it. And not only, like, I think he needs to, like, the problem with United with a lot of their players is there's no passion. And it seems like they're just playing for the paycheck and all that. And I think he needs to inspire in some way once again, similar to Arteta, that it was like Arsenal is his favorite club and he lives and breathes it. And then eventually it just got into a contagious thing where like he's got players that want to be at Arsenal, even if they're not playing the same way that Pep, you know, has gotten people to just buy in. I mean, Pep's won a bunch of trophies, so it's not hard to want to play for City. But it's just one of those things that I think Ten Hag needs to be less businesslike and more, this is Manchester United. And shit like that. So I don't know, but I think we're gonna start rambling. So I just want to get on to Chelsea because I need to rip this team. It's ridiculous. You remember Chelsea faced Arsenal last week or something like that, or the week before, and oh, Arsenal were lucky to escape and stuff like that. And I thought Chelsea played really well. You know that Chelsea has lost the last three to Brentford that they played against them. They can't seem to get a win in West London. And here's the thing with Chelsea. They, I hate that club. Like I, like I didn't used to not, like I used to not mind them. You hate Pochettino. Let's be, let's be clear. No, no, no. I hate Chelsea now too, because it just, here's the thing. City have bought success. Okay. In my opinion, they've bought success and they've tried to buy heritage. And so have Chelsea and Chelsea have like bought their, their shit. And then they start to, like their fans and them, they start to say things like they're 100% the pride of West London and they're they're the biggest club in London and stuff like that. And it's it's just one of these things that I appreciate appreciate about Tottenham um, is that Tottenham has not changed any ownership, okay? Their club is still as badly run as we thought before, but they brought in a manager that can change them. Okay, so that's why, like, with the and with the amount of spending that I know that Pochettino hasn't spent a billion dollars on the players he wants, but when you have a billion dollars worth of talent, any type of coach worth their weight should be able to get some more 
than what Chelsea is, what Pochettino is getting out of. Pochettino is a fucking fraud. Okay, explicit episode. Yeah, is he's a fraud. He is dog. Like I had to hear Chelsea fans. This is why I hate Chelsea. Talk about how his CV is better than Arteta. Winning a trophy in League One means nada. Zip, zero, zilch. They actually thought he was better than Unai Emery, some of them. Oh, yeah, he's a better coach than Unai Emery. Unai Emery won all of the trophies that Pochettino won in um, League 1, and then he's got four Europa Leagues. Okay? Get off Pochettino's dick. Because, it, it, no, it infuriates me that these Chelsea fans are like, we. they get one team, they have one good performance to get Arsenal, and they draw. And they start talking about, oh, yeah, we're back and all this. They forget that they were sold for a dollar. They're at Stanford Bridge, which is how can you be a big team when you don't, you can't even, um, you don't even have 40,000 seats in your ground. Like, it, it's just a transit team for fans. It's just, oh, we're going to be, we're going to be Chelsea fans now. And then we're not going to be Chelsea fans. It's, it's just such a embarrassment that they try to buy heritage and then they almost convince themselves that they have heritage. It's so frustrating. Okay? Frustrating beyond belief. I don't even know who to cheer for in Chelsea versus Tottenham. I wish they could both lose. But it's so... Oh, it's so frustrating. Anyways, go ahead. I mean, because here's the thing. Did you have more sympathy? Because what difference would it make when Abramovich was there at Chelsea? What, 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 the the what? difference, the difference is because Abramovich actually cared about the club. Like he behaved like a fan that was a billionaire. Okay, at least he had some pride in his team. It has nothing to do with the ownership. Why, like Todd Bowley, I could care less about that. But it's the way the fans react. Like the fans are so spoilt rotten, and they don't know what it's like to go through a period of struggle and to try to organically create things. Like they want Pochettino out already, or Todd Bowley out. It's like they were screaming, we're back. When they, when Abramovich left, they were like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Because your sugar daddy had left. Yeah. And then you found out Todd Bowley spends just as much and you're like, we're back, yes. And then you spend all that money and you're like, it's not working. Fire the fire the manager and spend more money. Like the, It's just like this rich silver spoon kid that's just like, oh, it's not working. It doesn't matter that we spend a billion dollars. We should just spend more. It's the most rich kid bullshit team I've ever heard. At least City, they go, oh yeah, we spent a lot, you know, and sh- and stuff like that. But it's not like this, oh, you know, I wanted a Ferrari and it ended up running not as good as I want. So now I want the Lamborghini. That's, that's how Chelsea fans are. It's pathetic. None of them actually realize, and I've, I'm not that old of a United or an Arsenal fan, but none of them don't, like they, all of these fans have no idea what it's like to work hard for nothing until you're successful. It's oh, well, per- perhaps their their vision is is blurred by the two Champions League titles, and, and that's why Arsenal fans can just see beyond. I don't care. Here's the thing with the Champions League. I know you're just trying to fire me up, but it, it, it's just in anything. They haven't even won anything, and they just think they could go. You know, like their whole thing is they want to when they're doing uh, Arsenal versus Chelsea. They like to say things like, oh, well, we're the bigger club because we've had a more successful 10 years. Like, okay, so I guess Arsenal's um, however many years on as a club doesn't count. You only want to count the period of time that they're better now like to make them a bigger club. 
Like it, it's ridiculous because when you start looking at other clubs, you go, okay, so what is Chelsea in this in the last ten years under Abramovich? They're a bigger club than United or Liverpool because they've had more success. No, the biggest thing contributing factor to being a big club, in my opinion, is organically creating your fan base where it doesn't matter if you're winning trophies or not. You're still you're still right there with your team because you created these memories in this heritage that money can't freaking buy. And these freaking silvers, I'm telling you, I like it's visceral, Brian. I can't stand them right now. But, but I, I do think in terms of big clubs, there is you do place a somewhat greater emphasis on recent stuff. No, no, no. There's a difference between te- being a bigger team and being a bigger club. I would still, I don't care about the Champions League. I, I want a Champions League. Don't get me wrong. But I am not like you where I would rather have two Champions Leagues. Like, I would not trade Arsenal's trophy cabinet over Chelsea's. I would not do it. Okay? I would not trade the history of Arsenal Football Club for Chelsea's. Not in a million years. I would not want a system where we have an owner spend a billion dollars and fire a manager every month rather than having a 22-year manager caretaker legend that revolutionized the game, not just a club, okay? It's ridiculous. Like, I know we talk a lot of shit about United, but I'm, like, you cannot, it doesn't matter about, we. there's memories with United that they didn't win trophies for. You know, they lost to Barcelona, and it's still a great memory for United fans because it was just a legendary game and things like that. Chelsea fans, the only memories they have are winning the Champions League. And then Drogba. Period. Okay? Pathetic club. Anyways, let's move on because I'm I'm running out of time here. Let's move on. I, the, the, uh, I'm all freaking flustered now. We got United versus Fulham. This is a clear Fulham win, isn't You'd it? You'd think so. You'd have to think so. That's... Normally, I did, most times, the last couple of weeks, I just, oh, United are probably due to get a win, but Fulham are a, a decent side, and playing at, at home, Craven Cottage is a good venue, and good, good good atmosphere for those those supporters, and United don't look like they're going to be up for it, so I don't... I don't What's the scoreline? 3-1. I agree, 100%. We got a big doozy of a game, though. This is going to be good. Arsenal, Newcastle, Newcastle at home. This is going to be... Ooh. I'm thinking 2-1 Arsenal, but it is just it's going to be tight. I'm I I think it's going to be tight. I I, I thought if, if this was at the Emirates, I would for sure probably pick Arsenal. Newcastle it might just be it might be a draw. I could see that being a, a probably a 1-1. In that case it depends on how if Newcastle can put the ball in the net, they've already have had a game where they scored eight, eight yeah, or something like that. So that looks like they can. It looks like there's a little more potency. Like with Newcastle, it looks like they're going to score more, but they're also conceding more than they were yeah. last year. So, oh, yeah. Anyways, let's get to the stoppage time questions because this is interesting. As we heard uh, an hour ago, Messi won the Ball d'Or. Do you think it's deserved? You know, I, I don't really have a problem with it, you know, like cause it was obviously between Erling Haaland and, and Lionel Messi. And my gripe is not with Messi. My gripe is with the system that really values World Cup and World Cup performances. 
Yeah. And more so than is Messi obviously played a paramount part in that um, World Cup and, and had a decent year at, at PSG that season as well. But it is it is tricky because, like I said, I'm not I don't hate Messi. I hate the system that that advocates for World Cups being more important than the, the international yeah. play, despite only happening for a month a year, being more important than the ten months of club play. Yeah. I I think Messi deserved it, but I also think if if Holland won, he would. Have, I, it's not that Messi didn't deserve it. I just think, like you're saying, the system is a little bit flawed. I like this one. So, is it harder for a Man City player to win the Balador? And I say that in the context of we see City as this like a team of great individuals, but a great team where like Real Madrid like kind of gets the the kind of stereotype of being a team of great players or Manchester city. They're good players, but they're a great team. Is it harder to win under that no. stereotype? No, I think the question is, uh, is good, but I think it's misguided a little bit. I think the issue is not necessarily, I think it's a Messi and Ronaldo issue, but then I also think it's an England issue. Like I think a lot of, um, Real Madrid and Barcelona players got nods for Baldor because of the essence of being, uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid, I do think that it's a little bit Spanish biased in the, I think, I just think English players often are overlooked or not English players, but Premier League players are overlooked a little bit more. Um, I think than Italian Spanish players are. Um, I think the Italian league gets buried even almost below. No, I know, but you have a history of uh, people that won in the Italian league that maybe even shouldn't have. Well, thinking yeah. about the, the, well, the but, 90s was, I think, the Italian league was the best. Yeah, but so I don't think it's necessarily a Man City. Like, I get your argument, but I think it's deep. I think it is more difficult for them, but I think it's a Premier League problem, not a... I just think there's bias there. But I got to head out early, and I want to leave Brian with you to answer this last question, okay? Who's winning it next year? Jude Bellingham. Shut up. He's not winning it, Brian. It would be here's the thing. I would I would love to see a midfield player win the Baldor because it seems like there's such a bias in terms of you know attacking players getting the nod. At least recently, we haven't had a defender win in a long time. Van Dyke came close, I think, that one year. I'm just gonna say I think it's gonna be Holland because and I think they will give it to him next year if he keeps his play up, and it will be a complete confirmation of should have won it this year, but we'll just give it to him next year. Well, we'll see about that, or maybe it'll. Here's the thing: if like if they treat him like Lewandowski, they're not going to do him any favors. Oh, of not ha- giving it to Lewandowski. That's leaving. So I guess we're I guess we're done for this week. We'll we'll catch you in the next one.